everything that had happened to that point prepared me for the opportunity that was in front of me. So sometimes we believe that things happen to us, but everything you're going through is happening for you. You just have to figure out what that lesson is. You have to figure out why this is happening right now. And if you think about the things that you desire the most, it's likely that this is setting you up. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Let's welcome Mr. Jerome Myers and interns. Again, there is a book, Your Dream Should Be Real, all right? Your Dream Should Be Real. He is the author of this amazing book. I'm going to take some time and read his bio, but again, I said he identifies with everyone in the room, and you'll get an opportunity to hear how, and let's open our minds to what he has to say. So as he approaches the stage... We have Mr. Jerome Myers. Mr. Jerome Myers is an engineer, investor, mentor, and business strategist. Jerome Myers is an award-winning engineer, investor, mentor, and business strategist specializing in helping founders navigate their exit paradox through masterminds and coaching programs. With a background in corporate leadership, Jerome built a 20,175-person division of a Fortune 550 company from scratch before transitioning into his current role. Utilizing his expertise in project management, engineering, and business, Jerome advises business leaders on leadership strategy, process improvement, sales and data analytics in various industries, including real estate, financial services, business services, and healthcare. His guidance enables clients to double their revenue, time off, and charitable giving. There's so much more I could read, but I bet that through his speech, he'll be able to illuminate your minds. So let's welcome Mr. Jerome Myers to the stage. Oh man, I'm so, so grateful to be here with you guys. Mr. Jackson, thank you for the invitation. You caught me off guard, man. I didn't see it coming. I think it was one of the first conversations we had where he invited me to come hang out with you all. I'm a product of a program very similar to this one. When I was in college at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University, I got the opportunity to work for the State Department. And it was a program called NAFIO, and they were trying to get more minorities into the State Department. I got the opportunity to work overseas. 
and I was trying to find the picture where me, Abebe, and one of the other folks were doing inventory in a container in sub-Saharan Africa. As you can imagine, that probably wasn't the most fun assignment, but nobody else was able to get it done. And because we completed that project, I got the, we talked about branding a little bit earlier, I got the moniker of Boy Wonder. And that followed me throughout my career. And so, I know we're in a world of 15 second reels, and that's all that we have in order to keep people's attention. I can guarantee you, if you give me a little bit of your attention, there may be something that I say that shifts the way that you interact with the world. And that shift may be the thing that changes your family tree. So before I dive into my presentation, I have a couple of questions I wanna ask so I can understand the room a little bit better. Who wants to be a millionaire? Who knows a millionaire? Who is a millionaire? Raise your hand high if you're a millionaire. You actually have a net worth of a million dollars right now? Okay. Is there anybody in the room with a net worth of a million dollars right now? I know we don't talk about money very often, but if there's somebody in here that wants to be a millionaire and there's somebody here who's a millionaire, I want you to see them because I want you to know what it looks like. Raise your hand high. I want you to know what it looks like. There's another designation called an accredited investor, and that's for people who have over a million dollars of net worth outside of their primary residence. These things will become important for you later, but I think all of us, me in general, I picked engineering because I wanted to make money. Anybody else interested in making money? Okay. So we're gonna talk about money, we're gonna talk about a whole lot of other stuff, and my whole goal is to normalize this conversation. Because I don't think we have conversations about wealth, particularly in the African American community. Is that fair? We talk, it's taboo, we pretend like it doesn't matter, we talk about things like we had a whole lot of love, and then when it comes time for an opportunity for the next person in your generation, you don't have one. And so I wanna start normalizing the conversation. You don't have to feel uncomfortable about money if you don't have a lot. You have the opportunity to change that. How many of you are the first to go away to college? Me too. My dad graduated from college the same May that I graduated from high school. He went into the military when he was 17. He went into the Marines, did the Vietnam evacuation, and then he went to school at night. Well, he went to class at night. My mom did his homework. <laughs> she said, it's our degree. And it's crazy because my mom gave up her dreams of being a businesswoman to take care of me. And so when I get up here in front of stages like this, I always think of those two because of the sacrifices they made for me. Because it wouldn't be possible, right? I'm only three generations removed from being enslaved. I'm only three generations removed from being enslaved and I am accredited an investor, right? I was a millionaire in my 30s. And I don't think a whole lot of people are able to achieve that in their lifetime, let alone in a short time frame. So with that as the context, I'm gonna take you on this journey from me being an intern sitting in a chair, very similar to what you all, 
to where I got to today. And I'm going to tell you a lot of the mistakes I made because I don't really care about the highlight reel. I only tell you about my financial status because it's my hope that you'll pay attention to what I have to offer to you. The lessons I give you will help you on your journey. We got a deal? All right, here we go. All right, so I said I'm grateful to be here, and it's not just a platitude, right? August 13th of 2005, a month after I started my job, I was in a head-on accident with a dump truck going 55 miles an hour. He crossed the center line, hit me head-on on my side of the car. Luckily, I was riding by myself. Anybody know Jeezy's Soul Survivor? That's what I was listening to when I was driving, man. Now, this was my dream car at the time. So because I had a full scholarship to college, my parents bought me a Nissan Maxima, right? And so I customized the body kit, all the things. I've always been in the car, so you have to forgive me for getting excited about that. But I knew in that moment that everything can be taken away. I played college football. I was still in pretty good shape, I guess. At least that's what the doctor said after he operated on one leg for 14 hours, and then I went back in the next day for him to do it again. I was in ICU for three days, seven days on the orthopedic floor, and then I get out and I'm in a wheelchair. And I'm rolling around, well actually I'm sliding around on the floor because I couldn't walk, right? And I couldn't stay in the bed because I'm not somebody who just sits still. And I realized like, we take so much for granted. We take the opportunities we have for granted. We take the people in our lives for granted. And when we do that, I think we lose the chance to actually make the difference we're supposed to make. We don't walk with expectation. We don't perform at the highest level. We decide we'll get to it tomorrow. I've heard people throughout the morning talk about creating an opportunity for the people behind you. So be clear, if you're the first one in, as I've been in many of the places, and they don't have an opinion about what this product looks like, because most people wouldn't think I was a millionaire, especially if I didn't have this coat on, then what are they gonna expect the next time one comes up? Because humans are all about pattern recognition. It is all about pattern recognition. How can I make sure I don't get hurt? And so when you get these opportunities, show up and take advantage of them because somebody worked extremely hard for you to sit where you sit. When you go to your job, it's not just a job. When you start your company, it's not just a company. They're counting on you. There are people who literally died for you to have the opportunity that you have. I am the descendant of somebody who ended up on a slave ship from Nigeria. My family has history with the Yoruba tribe. I know that somebody made it across the Middle Passage. I know that to be a fact. And for me to complain about what? It's too cold in the room? I had to do inventory in a box? I don't like my shoes? I don't have anything to wear? Like, what am I complaining about? Like, somebody was that strong that they could make it through those inhumane conditions to create an opportunity for us on this other side. So my dad was a soldier. My grandfather, I talked to him once. I don't really know what he did other than ride motorcycles. My dad's grandfather drove a bus. And before that, we were 
doing stuff on a rice plantation. It can change, and you can be the one. You can be the one that changes it for everybody that comes after you. But you walk around and you pretend like it's all good. You pretend like it's something that you're supposed to have. I need you to understand that somebody sacrificed for you to have it, for you to have a chance. And now what do you do with that chance? My takeaway from the car accident is if you don't know where you're going, you won't like where you end up. I didn't know where I was going. It was my first time getting a haircut in that town. So put things in context. I graduated. I spent basically a month and a half volunteering in a youth summer sports program. I moved into the house that I bought before I started my job. I hadn't went to work a single day. Well, actually, I've been working for a month, right? But I closed on my house before I started my job. It was back in 2005. Mortgages were really easy to get. And I was like, man, I literally was able to accomplish what my dad dreamed of at 22. He wanted to go back to the country where he grew up and live. Now, my dad went through the military, drove trucks, runs a post office now. And his whole thing was, I want to get back in the country. And so I bought a house in the country. I bought a house 2,600 square feet. The house I grew up in could fit in it twice. I had a pond. I had four acres. It was everything that he told me that he wanted. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go get a haircut. But I didn't even know where the barbershop was. So I was just riding around looking for a barbershop. Now, I lived in a town that had one stoplight. So y'all, I know there's barbershops everywhere, but this one had one. It didn't even have a stoplight. It had one stop sign. I'm sorry. One stop sign. And so I'm riding around trying to find a barbershop. You have to be super intentional about where you're going and who you're spending your time with. Or you can end up in a situation that you don't want to be in because you're not being intentional. And so today's conversation is about breaking barriers and building bridges. Each one of you has an opportunity to do that. And hopefully, as we peel the layers on this conversation, you will have an epiphany on the barrier or the bridge that you're supposed to be working on. All right, so he talked about a $20 million business. That sound like a lot of money to you guys? All right, so we went to zero. Let me give you the timeline. So January 13th, I meet Holly. Holly is my client. I'm working for a construction company. She hands me folders. I'm the second person that has Moz Tech on the chest of our polos. We have zero dollars in revenue. By September 30th, I had 175 people working for me. By the end of the year, we had $20 million billed, 30% profit margins. And little old me standing there smiling, right? We go to the financial review meeting, the people who are more senior and running budgets and going to meetings. I'm the only black guy, I'm gonna tell you that. And so we go there. And everybody's looking around, and people have 2% profit margins, 3% profit margins, and we're sitting at 30. And they're just kind of looking at me sideways. They're confused because they've never seen anything like it. Now, on top of that, diversity was something that I always promised I would build when I had a team. Because I know there are some people who feel like if I get through the door, there's no room for anybody else that looks like me. 
there's no room for women because I, I checked the minority box. And my whole thing was, if I get in, I'm going to open the side door so everybody can come and get in the club. Y'all ever did that? Y'all sneak out friends in the club? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so when I sat around my leadership table, we had four women, two men of color outside of me. And not only did we have that, but we also had age diversity, which I thought was really important because everybody's got a different perspective. Now, we were doing something that had never been done before. We were taking overhead power lines, putting them on the ground. My team was responsible for getting the real estate rights. So this is gonna be very much a transportation project, just like any other infrastructure project. Taking, getting the real estate rights, doing the engineering design, and then also installing it. Now, I didn't know much about real estate. I didn't know much about the engineering design because my background was in higher voltage transmission line stuff, and the construction, I'd never seen it done before. But because of the foundation that was built over my career, I was able to learn quickly. Because of some of the certifications that I gained, I was the person that was right for the job. But that's the end. Let's go back to the beginning, because all of that sounds really cool, and some of you feel like you're ready for that right now, right? You deserve the company truck, you deserve the P&L, you deserve all the compensation that comes with it. But there's a whole lot of stuff that happened that led up to that point. And so I've heard the dream mentioned at least three times a day. It's something that's core to who I am and what I'm about. And when I was coming out of school, I had someone tell me, hey, your hair won't work here. And I didn't have hair like this. I had a little fro, it's shorter than yours, my man. Little fro, it won't work here. I was like, what does that mean? And so I went really hard on this whole, I want to be judged based on my character. I want to be judged based on what I actually produce instead of what it looks like when I show up. Anybody else want to be considered that way based on your work product versus what type of shoes you wear or how you wear your hair or whether you put on a suit and a tie or just a jacket or a sweater. But if you show up and you know what you're doing and you're doing a great quality work, does any of it really matter? It's only because you're unfamiliar with it. And it was funny because as I went through the journey, I was like, my skin's always gonna be brown and my nose is always gonna be broad. So what does it matter, this other stuff? But because the man told me my hair wasn't going to work here, I cut it. Now, I didn't go work for them. I went to work for somebody else. But I cut it because I was like, I don't need any distractions. I don't want to create any additional friction. I just want to fit in. I, I thought about it because when I got to school, and some of you are probably in fraternities and sororities, when I got to school, when I got to college, I won't call it school, when I got to college, you went from being a big deal to being a nobody. Anybody ever felt that way? It's like, man, everybody knows who I am. I'm the star to, what have you done lately? Who are you? And what I realized was nothing that I'd done to that point really mattered. It just checked the box. He talked about it getting to the door, but not through. So you're checking these boxes, you're getting to the door. 
And so I get to my first day of work, and my man Cliff shows. He's there. I'll never forget Cliff. He had a gold tooth. C-cut part. He's like, who are you? Now, mind you, I'm, I'm driving my gold sedan, right? This is before the accident, first day at work. Who are you? I said, I'm Jerome Myers. He said, where are you going? I said, man, look, I'm getting ready to start this new job. i never seen nothing like this. He said, well, what will you do when they get there? I said, I'm going to prove everybody right that took a bet on me. I'm going to prove them all right. I'm a, my mom, my dad, at the time, Mark Allen was my supervisor. He made me the job offer. I'm going to prove them all right, that this was a good choice. I want to make them look like geniuses. This is a safe bet. Bet on Jerome. Bet on Jerome. And so I went off, and I went to accomplish or achieve that. What I was super interested in, though, was getting out of the pile as soon as possible. And so I know there's a lot of professionals in the room. Anybody got a PE? Amazing. Anybody in here been told not to get their credentials? Anybody been told not to take the FE? Not to get licensure? That's the fastest way you can separate yourself from the pack. Showing up with your fundamentals of engineering exam passed is a differentiator. Now, I had a guy that I ended up working for later who told me, Jerome, you don't need that. And I was like, man, but I can do it. Why wouldn't I need it? He's like, yeah, oh, you don't need it. You know, it doesn't matter. And so I'll never forget when I was at the power or in my last job, you know, the PE license is fairly small. It's probably eight and a half by 11, maybe a little bit smaller. And I blew it up. It was 24 by 36. It was on my wall. <laughs> and so the guy that I reported to, he's walked in. He was like, why is your license so big? I said, because Mike Evans told me I didn't need it. <laughs> Sometimes I could be silly, y'all. But the fact of the matter is the fastest way to get out of the pile is to do credentialing. We talk about getting to the door. These things will check boxes. You might not know this yet, but when you start looking at job descriptions, they're going to have minimum requirements, and then they're going to have preferred requirements. And if you want an opportunity to a job that your tenure might not say that you're qualified for, but you have all the credentials for, it's kind of a cheat code. Now, will you have to go to extra school? Will you have to do some boot camps? Will you have to take some tests at night? Maybe. Probably respect the test is what I will tell you. So FE, I got that. Then I get my Six Sigma black belt. So after I came back in to work after the accident, I form a relationship with the mentor who actually then became a sponsor. Anybody know the difference between a mentor and a sponsor? Interns? All right. Cheat code. You ready? Write this down. A mentor is somebody who's taking a personal interest in you. A sponsor is somebody who creates opportunities for you. They are not the same. The sponsor is going to say, hey, give him that assignment. I think he can take care of it. They're using their relationship capital within the organization to create opportunity for you to get some exposure.
the faster you can find those people, the faster your career will go. And so my mentor was running a division of the company. I went and found that person because I wanted to run a division of the company. Just like we started this thing with who's a millionaire and who wants to be a millionaire. You go talk to the people who did the thing you want to do. So I'm talking to him. <laughs> I got to tell this story. So he comes out the stall in the bathroom. I was like, oh, you're Mr. Such and such. And I extend my hand. It's like, man, hold on, wait. Let me wash my hands first. It's great. Silly me. Over time, we built a relationship. He said, the best thing I can do for you, Jerome, is give you access to my coach. And so he had a professional coach, an executive coach, who was helping him navigate the waters of being in corporate America. I was like, I don't, I know what a football coach is. I'm, I play baseball. I know what a baseball coach is. What is an executive coach? And so she would take me through these different assessments, and she would ask me questions about what my aspirations were, and she helped me put a development plan together. And a lot of this is tried to be handled by the person that you report into, but most of them haven't ever had that level of coaching, so they're not going to do it at the level that Miriam did for me. So I had access to that, and I saw my career changing in the blink of an eye. And then he said, hey, I'm going to put you in this program. And so we're getting people who have the potential to be leaders here certified in this program called Six Sigma. And there were a bunch of different levels. And there was Black Belt. And then there was Master Black Belt, which were the practitioners, the project leaders. And I was like, oh, I want to get into project management. That's what we should do. So he put me in the program. And so I got more and more exposure and more time with executives and directors. And I was like, this is amazing. And then I was like, you know what else I'm going to do? My dad went to school at night. I'm going to go to school at night. I got my MBA. And oh, by the way, this company paid for it. I was like, man, no student debt. It taught me a bad lesson, which is this. If you're not willing to invest in your own development, I don't know that you actually take it all that seriously. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, aka the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. I had a scholarship for undergrad. I had the company pay for my graduate degree. Being willing to invest in yourself. What does that look like? Hey, we don't have budget to send you to that conference you want to go to. I really want to go. Take vacation, pay to go yourself, and get the development and the networking. There will be times where they tell you they're not going to pay for something. But if you truly believe it's for you, then invest in yourself. It's the biggest return you can get. Got the MBA. Got the PE put it up so Mike could see it. He never came to my office. I was waiting for him to walk in the door one day. And then I got two more things. 
I got my project management professional certification. I got the PMP, and in getting the PMP, I was able to create more opportunities for myself because I was one of the few people who had knowledge of the client, had exposure to that type of work, had the right credentials, and some of the same relationships. And so when the guys came to recruit me to work with them on this new project, they didn't have another option. I was uniquely qualified to solve the problem that they had. And because I was uniquely qualified to solve the problem that they had, I got to decide how much money I made. Everything that had happened to that point prepared me for the opportunity that was in front of me. So sometimes we believe that things happen to us, but everything you're going through is happening for you. You just have to figure out what that lesson is. You have to figure out why this is happening right now. And if you think about the things that you desire the most, it's likely that this is setting you up. Now, I'll tell you, that accident happened because I'd been praying for patience. I was an impatient person. I'm probably still impatient, depending on who you talk to. So here's the thing that I learned sophomore year in college. I didn't want to be an engineer. And that didn't ever get better. But when I was 26, I was already making $100,000 a year. So what was I going to do? Drop out and sell drugs? Like, where was I going to go? What was I going to do? <laughs> I didn't have another option. But I kept getting the certifications because my goal was, and some people just want to be technical. If you love the numbers and you don't want to deal with the people problems, because people can be very complicated, then stay on the technical track. You can still make 150, 200,000 depending on industry, depending on agency, right? Some people always want to be on the owner side where they're working for like an MDOT. Other people want to be on the consulting side. Other people want to be like my friend James Bryant, who is on the transportation research side, or was until he exited about a year ago. There's so many different options. But what I wanted to do was jump curves. So I wanted to jump from the engineering curve to the executive leadership curve, because that was my path that I saw to becoming a millionaire, because that was the goal. When I left corporate, I can't say when I left corporate. When I left the power company, because I was working for a power company, I went to work for a consulting firm. And this story is really important from my perspective because some of you may come work for MDOT and then go into consulting and then go back to MDOT or some other agency. This isn't, from my perspective, this isn't as much about you staying at MDOT as it is creating more people in the industry with great minds who are solving the hardest problems that the world faces, transportation, infrastructure. So I go to the consulting firm, and we're about eight months in, and it's right before Labor Day, and the guy says, hey, Jerome, I see you charge admin time on your timesheet this week. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, we don't do that here. I'm like, well, I wasn't on client work this week. I finished early. I sent it to them, and I was cleaning up stuff. And he said, look, Jerome, you either build a client or you take vacation. 
Now, up to that point, I was 100% billable in the year. I was 100% billable in the year. He's, you don't charge the admin budget. That's called timesheet fraud. And I also call it theft. And so I didn't bill the client, and I didn't take vacation. And very soon after that, I left. But not only did I leave, I had a signing bonus. And my signing bonus basically said that I had to stay for two years. And if I didn't stay for two years, then I had to pay that back. And it was only $10,000. But at my age, $10,000 felt like a lot of money. And so I paid back $10,000 so that I could leave that company and go work for another company where I had international responsibilities for engineering. What's really cool about this world is how small it is. And Cyril doesn't know this, but back over a decade ago, when Burns and Mac was trying to recruit me to come work for them, they told me that I could be like him if I came over there and worked for them. And I just think it's so cool that we're sitting in the same room today because he's still in the industry, still has a great reputation. But the thought that there's not that many people you can point to is a challenge that we're still wrestling with in, in today. Don't let anybody convince you to do something that you know is wrong. At the end of the day, it's always on you. The buck stops with you, and I don't care how much they're paying you, it's not enough. If you destroy your reputation, there isn't anybody that can fix that for you. And the person that told you to do it, it's just gonna push it on you because it's you versus them at that point. There are a lot of dishonest people. Maintain your integrity. We have a deal on that? All right, December 25th, 2015, 455. Hey, Jerome, you guys have been doing great work up there. I know you and I have been talking about this for the past few months or past few weeks, and I made a decision. Now, this is a guy I saw once a quarter, talked to every other week. Uh, we're going to lay half of them off. We're going to do what? That's not the right answer. Yeah, Jerome, I know that you're going to debate with me. I know you want to negotiate this, but the fact of the matter is, we don't have a solution. We're just going to lay half of them off. And so I go back because I'm stubborn, right? I believe that we're not supposed to lay these people off. And he said, look, man, that's it. I'm informing you of a decision. And I had the illusion that I was in charge. The buck stopped with me. This was my team. These were my people. No. I was a middle manager, and it's one of the most frustrating places you can be. You're fighting the good fight. You're torn between the up, the people reporting into you, and the people who are telling you what to do. And so there was a conversation about responsibility earlier, being accountable, accountability. And so how did I rationalize it? They made me do it. If it was up to me, we wouldn't do this, but they made me do it. They didn't make me do it. I, I had a choice. I could have fired myself. I could have fought harder. But I gave up that agency 
and said they made me do it. The buck didn't stop with me. And I had to accept that, though. And so I took that super personal. I didn't eat for days. I had a hard time sleeping. In fact, I still have a hard time with the holidays because I know around the country, a few months from now, people are going to be getting laid off at the end of the year. It happens every year, especially in construction. And I had this thing about not letting people down. I struggled with that. In middle school, eighth grade, I was supposed to call my buddy Jarrell. We were supposed to go to a high school football game. That was fun. My mom would take me and a friend if I wanted to invite a friend. But on this particular Friday, I didn't call him. And so I get a call on Saturday morning, and they say, he's dead. I said, who? He's dead. You didn't hear about it? No. Jarrell's dead. What happened? Oh, he was drinking, and he played Russian roulette and lost. What? I didn't even know he drunk. What do you, what do you mean? And so I, I didn't make that call. And so today, I still live with that, right? And I know it wasn't my fault. I didn't give him a gun. I didn't tell him to drink. I would have told him not to drink. I don't drink. I've never drunk. But you have to be impeccable with your word. I beg you to honor your commitments because in some instances, it could be a life or death situation and you not even know it. Hey, man, I'm going to get back to you. I hit you up tomorrow. You don't have any intentions of calling them tomorrow. But they could be relying on you to keep them out of that situation. You could be the person that saves somebody. I know there's been some talk about mental health, so I wanted to bring that in. This is my buddy Hambone. Pound for pound, one of the best human beings I've ever met. And so December 2013, I get a call. Did you hear? If you call me, don't ever say, did you hear, please. <laughs> Hamblin's dead. I was like, what? How? He was a sailor. He was in great shape. He, uh, he died of heartbreak. His brother had died three weeks earlier. So the family lost both of their sons in a matter of a month. And so I drive three hours to go to the funeral, even though we hadn't talked for 12, or 12 years or so. And I'm like, why am I here? I hadn't talked to him. Like, if he was that important, why wouldn't I have kept the relationship going? And I, I drove out of respect. But something caught me at the end of the, th the funeral. There were people lined up to carry his casket. And I had no idea who would carry mine. Like, I got in a head-on accident, never thought about who would carry my casket. But, like, what type of impact was I making on the world? Who would come to my funeral? Who would want to carry my casket? Who would stand in the gap for me? It's so much bigger than making money or figuring out how to do the thing for your family. Your light touches so many people. But I didn't have an answer to that question, and it crushed me. It absolutely crushed me. So when I got back, I blew up my life. I said, I can't live the way I've been living. I don't really love myself. I'm not happy. I'm doing work I'm not passionate about. I got a divorce. I ended up in a space where I was spiraling. I didn't know what to do. Because on the outside, everything looked good. People talked about Instagram and how it looks like everybody's living that life, right? 
I didn't even show people the life. I had a 6,000-square-foot house. I had an exotic car. When I got to the door, people would ask me if my parents were home. But I was empty on the inside. And it was all because I was asking that question. Who would actually carry my casket? Who cared? Because the money doesn't matter. And so in addition to that, I left corporate. Some people feel like the reason why you have to stay in a job is because of all of the responsibility. I flipped it on his head and said, this is the reason why I need to leave. I need to start a new life. I need to build the thing that I could go to the next level with, the thing that I could pass on to my kids. Did I learn a lot from corporate? I did. Did I like a lot of the things? I did. But the layoffs was a traumatic experience for me, one that I still struggle with today. And so I wanted to take that in my own hands. And so a lot of people see it as risky, but I took the bet. So I want to come back to this point because I think it's really important. You will be lost if you don't know who you are, where you're going, and what you will do when you get there. You have to be intentional with this time. Time is the only resource that you can't replenish. You can always make more money. Figure out what you're doing with your time. Allocate that well. All right, so y'all got work to do now. Let's go here. All right, so I need everybody to draw this four square, this grid, these quadrants on a paper. Humor me, please. Almost ready. Y'all thought y'all was just going to have to get the look at me. No, y'all going to work too. All right, here we go. I want you to think about the five people you spend the most time with. And if you need data, look at your cell phone. Check your text messages, your call log. Well, y'all don't talk to people on the phone. You call your text messages, your Instagram, your Snapchat. Think about the five people you spend the most time with, and they might see this, so just write their initial. First and last initial. Five people. Don't tell me you don't have five. There's, everybody's got five. Please don't put my spouse and my kids, because some people try to get out of it that way. Don't cheat me. I got three kids and a spouse. Everybody got their five? Anybody not got their five? Silence means you agree. Okay, so everybody's got their five. Now, I think about relationships in two ways, contribution and capacity. Capacity is the person's ability to help you. Think about skills, talents, abilities. Think about connections. I want to do a real estate deal. I need somebody who's got money or I need a lender relationship, or I need somebody who knows how to asset manage. Contribution is they actually roll up their sleeves and get dirt under their nails. My woman here, who put her life on hold to come hang out with me over the past couple of days, will go do whatever I want. I don't even know how to pack y'all. Contribution is high, right? Contribution is their willingness to go do something for you in order to help you. I want you to put, I usually don't put the labels on here because y'all will put people in places based on the label you want them to have, not the label they actually have. I want you to put the five people on the grid where high capacity and high contribution means they're mutually beneficial. Low capacity, low contribution means they're draining. What does a draining person look like? Hey, man, can you help me? And that's the only time they reach out to you. 
is when they want something from you. Or, hey, can you go do this for me? I don't know how to do that. I'm sorry. I just want you to search something on Google. Is it that hard? All right, go. Five. Put your five on the grid. Please be honest. Everybody done? Uh, Rather do it with a person. So you've got an imaginary person. I don't know what their name is. You give me their letter that you're thinking about. Oh, all right. So when you have a thing that you're working on and you tell O about it, what's something? What's the goal you have? How? Something that you can actually measure. Okay. So you want to get a job. All right. So from a contribution standpoint, would O look for opportunities for you to apply to? Would O introduce you to somebody if they heard they were looking for, what's your training in civil mechanics? If he heard about a civil engineering opportunity, would he tell you about it? He would. Would he introduce you to a person, that person that told him about it? Assuming they were a hiring manager or supervisor or something. You do? You're not saying that with much confidence. Are you sure? I think O's offended right now. He doesn't believe that, or she doesn't believe that you feel that way. But the point is, if they would do that, help you get closer to the goal, and actually do things to do it, then they're high contribution. Now, capacity is what you're describing. And so what it sounds like is they don't have a lot of those relationships. And so capacity would be low, contribution would be high for that particular, if you truly do believe that they would do the work to help you get the thing. And so you're doing it on two axes. One, high-low on contribution, and then high-low on capacity. And so in this instance, O would be low on capacity, high on contribution, which would make it uninspiring. That relationship is uninspiring. Okay, so I need a brave volunteer. Man, his hand's shaking. Y'all see his hand? Oh, man. Here we go. You did it, right? Don't have me come over here. You ain't do the whole exercise, bro. Yeah, you did the whole exercise. Let me see what you got, man. How many KRs you know? All right. This is very rare. Very rare. Okay, so let me tell you what usually happens. I'm really surprised by this. This is impressive, man. What's your name? Uh, my name's Kennard. 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 He's ahead of the game, y'all. So what usually happens is I get one person in a mutually beneficial... And then I get one person in the underutilized, and then I get the other three on the low capacity side, either draining or uninspiring. Usually it's two draining, one inspiring. That's the usual distribution. And so 66%, I'm not good at math, but I think that's about right, 60% of your people have low capacity, which means You're spending time with people who are not helping you go to the next level. Does that make sense? And for people who are people pleasers, like me, like James, we tend to have a bunch of draining relationships because the goal is for people to need us. And so it's not for them, it's for you. It's for your ego in the end. So you got to break out of that. But my man Kennard, he's got everybody on the high capacity side. And so what I tell people to do when they do this exercise, and we're only looking for one thing. We're looking for the people underutilized. 
I want you, either via text or God forbid you call them, you say, hey, I see you as somebody who can help me go to the next level. You have high capacity in whatever arena this is, and I'm working on this goal. I would love for us to explore how we can make our relationship mutually beneficial. It is a literal game changer. It is a game changer. When you think about the people you wrote on that paper, I bet most of them don't know what you're working on. They don't know your goal, but we feel like we're just going to get it done by ourselves. All right. I hope somebody does that. I know I'm running out of time. So I'm going to run through this back part so you can see what happened after I left corporate. Because for some of you, this is going to be a path for you. And it's hard for you to get connection to how this actually unfolds. And so my sophomore year in high school or college, I'm sitting on a stoop with my buddy, Duran. And he and I start doing some math because that's what engineers do in their free time, right? I was paying $3.95. I had two roommates paying $3.95. He lived downstairs. They were doing the same thing. We multiplied it across the complex. The owner was making $700,000 a year. Well, we never saw the guy, and we never talked to him. And so what I learned about becoming a millionaire, because I think everybody in here raised their hands, is you have to buy assets. An asset isn't your house. It's not your primary resident. An asset is something that sends you money. You're your biggest asset in the beginning. You take the earnings from you being that asset, and then you put that into other assets so that those things begin to send you money. We've been convinced that a bunch of liabilities are assets, and then we sit in debt and wonder why we don't have any free cash flow to allocate to get other resources that are going to grow our wealth. We never saw the owner of the asset. I told you my dad was a Marine, then he was in the Army, then he ran, to, he ran a post office. Well, me growing up, we never had people that own multi-million dollar real estate portfolios coming to the cookout. That wasn't a thing for me. And so I didn't know how to do that. And this relationship exercise is so important because what I realized was when I got to the place where I was leaving corporate, and I had that dream on the shelf from being a sophomore in college. I hadn't built a network that was going to help me do it. So I went into the bank and got the reminder. The loan officer says, hey, what brings you in today? I am interested in buying an apartment building. How much capital are you looking to borrow? About a million bucks. I got 800 credit score. I got money in the bank. You want to lend to me? Nah. I gave him my 54-page business plan. Here's what we're going to do. The first bank told me no. I was like, they're crazy. They don't know what they're missing. I'm the best thing smoking. I go to the next bank. They're like, nah, you're not the best thing since sliced bread. Jerome. I was like, you just don't understand what's going on here. You're going to miss out. I do that 10 times because I'm stubborn. I told you I'm stubborn. I did that 10 times. They all told me no. And it wasn't until that point that I realized like, I wasn't actually prepared for the opportunity. I had all of those credentials outside of my contractor's license, and I still wasn't prepared. They asked me a specific question. They said, can you give us an example of you doing the same project, one of similar size, similar scope? And if anybody's a consultant in here, 
they get asked, you get asked that question all the time. And so I reached in my pocket, gave him a piece of lint because I had nothing. I never bought a million dollar piece of real estate, even though I bought multiple pieces of real estate at that point. And so I went off and started doing research because they asked me other questions and used terms that I didn't know. And this is important for you going into your career. They were asking me about uh, accredited investors and debt service coverage ratios and a number of other things. Understand the lingo, understand the vernacular, understand the language of the industry that you're going in, the company that you're in. You may feel like they're talking over your head, but the reality is the faster you understand those words and what they mean and you're able to use them in context, the quicker you have credibility. And credibility will get you through the door and then you stay through the door by continuing to d demonstrate that you have competence. So I did the research. I put the apartment dream on the shelf, started fixing and flipping houses because if they could do it on HGTV, I could do it too. <laughs> and I did that for a while. Then I got back into the deal. I got into multifamily. We built a portfolio that did more than $700,000 a year that inspired me to get into the business within a couple of years. And that really excited me because we actually achieved a goal. But then I realized I was pretty lonely. And so over the past couple of years, we've been digging in deep on like, where do you get reward and fulfillment from? And I think we cracked the code on having inspired work. I think Gallup does a survey every year, every other year, and they will say about 75%, plus or minus 10%, is dissatisfied with their work. And I think it will tie to one of the four I's, the income the person is making, their influence, that's their ability to change how things are happening, their interest in the actual work, because sometimes you just get bored solving the same problems, and then the last one is impact. How are you making the world better? And so when you're going in, if you can figure out how that job checks the boxes, and it's not so much the first one as it is the next one, and if you can get all of the circles to overlap, you'll end up in a space of inspired work, and you won't feel like you're working. You'll feel like you're having fun. You'll be excited to show up and do stuff like this. This is super exciting for me. So we talked about breaking barriers. We've been talking, now we're gonna talk about building bridges really quickly. Entrepreneurship is not for everyone. Mathematically, it's not feasible. And I'm not encouraging anybody who doesn't already have that flame burning to be an entrepreneur because it's really hard and the likelihood of success is slim. But leadership is for everybody. You lead at home, you lead in a workplace, you can't go anywhere and not be a leader. And if you're an HBCU graduate, you have to know that it's specifically for you. And I'm not talking about a title. I'm talking about the way that you live your life. Are you making the world a better place in your interactions? Is everybody who comes in contact with you better because of the encounter they had with you? If you can answer yes to those, then I think you're living out what you've been placed here to do. 
Leadership is all about breaking barriers and building bridges. My goal today was to try to demonstrate how I've been able to do that to hopefully inspire one person in this room to take advantage of the opportunity that they have in front of them. I hope you never forget Cliff and his three questions. Who are you? Where are you going? What will you do when you get there? I never will. But if you can live in that intentionality, I can guarantee you, you will live an extraordinary life. You won't be trapped in the throes of mediocrity that the world encourages us to live in. You'll be special. People will ask you, how'd you do that? And then the ultimate compliment is, will you show me? Whatever you do, lead. Your dreams should be real. I don't know when's the last time you heard that, but you are now responsible for it. And with that, I'm done. So again, I just want to thank you, Jerome, for taking time. I know you can identify with many folks, but out of everything I was hearing you say is your intentions and goals to close the gap. You know, after reviewing what your passions were, um, you were able to tap in and self-assess what you wanted to do to be able to move your life forward. So I appreciate you for sharing that. You know, because when you talk about building bridges, but there's a gap, you know, who we see ourselves as and who we actually want to be. And I appreciate you for helping us with that today. All right? Take care now. All right. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real. <laughs>